We are wrapping up our series today, our series on Satan's schemes. We're going to touch on the sixth and final scheme today. I'm going to give you uh, actually one more message that I didn't plan on. It'll be after Easter. But I've gotten so many questions from you about how exactly does Satan work in our lives. You know, we've talked about the different schemes that he uses, all these D words, the deception, the, the discrediting. We've talked about all these things, but like how? Like how does he actually interact with us? Does he whisper in our ear? Can we hear him? Is he in us? Does he read our mind? Uh, how does all that work? I'm going to try my best to answer some of those very practical questions the week after Easter. And so you're going to have a little little appendix to this uh, to this message coming up. Today, however, we're just going to focus on the sixth and final of his schemes. Let me encourage you first, though, this morning, that although Satan's work is devastating, he is absolutely a sure loser in the end. You know that, right? Amen? I hope that these six weeks focusing on him have not discouraged you. I mean, I... I have intended that they have sobered us, that they would warn us that, that, in the, that in the thinking that we need the information so that we can set up a defense against it, we, we had to look at some of these things. But I don't want you to become discouraged in this. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Amen? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And he who controls and is the power and the prince of the air of all this stuff that's going on out here that we talk about, we have a conqueror that lives within us. And so you need to be encouraged by that. Now, if you're not in Christ, that should be an overwhelming, an overwhelming thought that Satan comes against us and you have no power within you to defeat him. And even in and of ourselves, Christians, we have no power to defeat the enemy. He is far stronger than we are in this world, save that we are in Christ. We have victory over him. All right. So let me encourage you that he he is a sure loser. Vance Havner, an old preacher that I used to listen to. On tape, he used to say it this way, that he isn't, Satan, isn't in the first two chapters of the Bible, and he sure isn't in the last two chapters of the Bible. He wasn't in the beginning, and he won't be around in the end. God will take care of it. Amen? So let that be an encouragement to you. I also want you to know that the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, look at this, Hebrews 4.15 says, that we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one, and that's a capital O there because we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ, one who has been tempted in all things and as we are yet without sin. And so all these things we've talked about, the point is, is that Jesus had to face them as well. Every single one of them. Think about them with me. Deception. Was Jesus ever, uh, did Satan ever attempt to deceive Jesus Christ? Yeah, remember when he took him into the wilderness and he threw every sort of, hybrid of what the father had already said and he tried to twist the words of God just like he did with the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. He tried now with the last Adam. Took Jesus into the wilderness, tried to deceive him. Was Jesus ever uh, discredited? Was he ever uh, disqualified? Were, Were there ever any attempts to catch Jesus in a lie or in some sort of wrong? Absolutely. Not to mention Rome, his own people were after him, trying to find a way to show that he's not the real Messiah. Over and over, they attempted to discredit him. Was Jesus ever distracted? Did Satan ever use that ploy? I think of the occasion when Peter tries to throw Jesus off the course to the cross. And Jesus looks at Peter, how would you like to have this thrown at you? Satan, and he addresses Peter, calling him Satan, get get behind me. Jesus saw through the attempts that Peter was being used in some form or fashion to distract Jesus from the course and the will of the Father. 
divided. I think of the, uh, the moment in the garden when Jesus is laboring over the cross. And he's praying, Father, take this cup from me. And then he's reminded, that's, that's not the will of the Father. Father, whatever your will is, not the will of, speaking of maybe his flesh, that although he would rather in his flesh not endure the cross, he was going to do the will of the Father. I imagine that Satan was there all along saying, do you really want to do what the Father wants you to do? Was he ever discouraged? I think of sweat drops of blood. I think of the moment when he asked the disciples to pray. Can you not pray just one hour? And they all fell asleep like you and I would probably. I think of the moment when uh, he had been arrested and everyone flees and everyone denies that they ever knew him. I don't even know that man. What do you mean I was with him? Think of the discouragement that Jesus must have faced. He faced everything that we have. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. And yet, he did not fall victim to any of those. If all else fails, guess what Satan will try? Scheme number six, it's the last of our series. Satan will try death. Satan's final hope is the grave. Amen? Thanks be to God that it didn't work either, did it? Next week, we'll celebrate Easter. It's perfect timing for this last message that we'll focus on his last scheme. If he, if he doesn't get you on any of the others, he will attempt death. And he tried it with Jesus, and the grave could not hold him. Amen? And so that's not going to work either. But if all else fails with us, Satan will try even death. The Bible says that he is a murderer. Do you know that? John 8:44 says this. You are of your father, the devil. He's speaking about our old nature, our old personhood. Before we come to Christ, this is who we are. We are children of our old father, the devil. And as such, we want to do the desires of our father. Now, here's where it talks about the desires of our father. He's a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He's a liar as well. Whenever he speaks a click. Lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so there, just as he is a liar from the very beginning, he is also a murderer. It's, it's the desire of the devil to be a destroyer and not just a liar. He uses the lies, you see, to in the end, to destroy us. The power of life and death, however, is God's alone. I want you to hear this very closely. The power of life and death is God's alone. So, Pastor, the sixth and final scheme of the devil that we're talking about, that he will, if nothing else works, or if he can maybe put all of them together in a perfect storm, he'll cause our death. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Pastor, are you saying that he has power in death and life? That's not what I'm saying. Let's be very clear. Satan's nature is to murder just as it is to lie, but he has restrictions. He has restrictions. One of the most expansive stories in Scripture on the schemes of Satan is found in the book of Job. You know it well, right? You've heard the story since you were small. The story of Job is that, and I'll get more into how the dynamic of all this trial of Job works. But the story of Job is that God uses Job 
to declare His glory. In Job, we find that God sets him up as an example of one who loves him. And Satan comes back and asks permission to press that very point. Have you considered my servant Job? Let's talk about Job. If he wasn't so blessed, I think he would curse you. God says, you're on. And he lets the leash out. In the encounter between God and Satan and watching the life of Job, we find that Satan somehow, some way, has access to the throne room of God. And God agrees for purposes of his own glory to let Satan do his work. You remember that Satan makes several attempts and return visits to God, asking for more leash each time. That didn't work, but I bet if I tried this, it would work. Comes back, that didn't work, but I bet if I try this, this will work. There are boundaries to Satan's schemes in the sovereignty of God. There are boundaries, and that's good news. That's good news. God says very clearly to our adversary, to Job's adversary, you can go this far, but no further. You cannot have his life. Even to the point where Job was covered with sores. It says that his, his illness was so bad that he would scrape himself, his sores, his skin, with a, with a clay pot just to make it feel better. Now, that's a bad place to be. But God said you can go that far, but you can't have his life. Now, with that point made, let me also remind you, however, that in the course of the story of Job, while God did not allow Job's life to be taken, there were numerous casualties in the story. Is that right? There were. Job had seven sons, three daughters, many, many servants, camels, sheep, ox, etc., etc. And as the story goes on, we find out that they're all obliterated. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. Incidentally, the book of Job may be chronologically the first book written in your collection of scriptures. That may be the reason that the New Testament, when it says that he is a murderer from the beginning, it may be thinking about the story of Job. That he had been murdering from day one, going to the throne of God. Can I have that life? Can I have that life? Scripture calls Satan the accuser. That day and night, Satan and his minions go before the throne of God, accusing us before the throne. So everything he tried on Job and everything he tried on Jesus, he may try on you and I. That's the point. Are you ready for it? Even if he throws the final scheme. Jesus said it this way in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes, and by the thief he means our adversary. The thief comes for one and only one reason. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's what a thief does, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. Very powerful words speak not only to the schemes of Satan, but they say something as to his goal, his desires, don't they? What is the heart of the adversary? What is the heart of Satan? His desire is to do his own nature. It's to be the thief that he is. It's not just one of his schemes. That's, that's his heart. That's his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, he has restrictions. So he must be crafty in how he does that. 
How does Satan accomplish the scheme of death in this world? Well, he's come up with some very, very crafty ways, hasn't he? Let me give you just four that I came up with without much thought. How does he accomplish death on a tight leash? Number one, in the Garden of Eden, you remember that his deceptions with Adam and Eve led ultimately to death, spiritually and physically. His lies brought about the consequence of Adam and Eve and the rest of us, spiritual and physical death, right? Just by his lies, he brought about death. The second one I thought of was in the case of our loved ones. He may not kill you. What happens when someone around us is taken? What happens when tragedy strikes? What happens when a loved one is taken way too early, unexpectedly, out of some tragic loss, some very great evil loss? What happens? Satan comes into our life, comes into our heart and mind, and he whispers his lies about how God can't be trusted. He whispers doubt, deception right there. You see how he takes death, even if it's not yours, but death that surrounds us and he uses it against us and he brings destruction. A third way, he may wreak so much havoc in your life that you wish you were dead. You ever been in that place? There's a point in the story of Job where it says that Job wishes he would have never have been born. And some of you may have at some point in your life, I know some of you have, have sat back and thought to yourself, I don't, I don't know why I was ever born. And Satan creeps in at that moment and he goes back to his original nature to destroy through lies. You know what? You're right. Maybe you should have never been born. I think you are pretty worthless. I bet God thinks you're pretty worthless too. Fourth way, he may tear your life so apart or at least make it appear so empty or devastated that you would consider believing the lie that he whispers that you might as well take your own life. Now, I'll not ask that um, any who have heard that whisper confess this morning. I'll not even ask how many of you, because I know probably every hand would go up, how many of you have known someone personally who have fallen a victim to those lies, those deceptions. But you see how crafty he is? That, that he may not do the bidding of death himself, but he can force the issue. Um, sneak peek into a couple weeks from now. How does he do this? You realize that, as Scripture told us earlier, he was our father in our old nature. And as our old father, don't you think he knows you pretty well, son, daughter? And for however long you were a child of the adversary, he got to know you very well. You think he knows your weaknesses? You think he knows the right buttons to push? I think he does. Some of you have heard me say that the, uh, the statistics in the military are staggering for the amount of suicides we've had in the last two years. In the last two years, at least, that I know of, We've had more casualties to suicide among our soldiers than we have in war. Now, how does that, how does that happen? You know, I sit back as a, as a chaplain and I think about how does, that, how does that work? These guys go through hell. 
They're in the face of the enemy. And then they come back to a place that's supposed to be safe. And they find themselves, for a number of reasons, feeling like there's no one else around. Nobody who understands. There's no one they can talk to. Some of these guys are so guilt-ridden over what they've seen or what they've done that they don't know how they'll go on. Um, it's an epidemic in the military. And your government is fighting against now this battle that's on, that's on not just the home front, but the, but the front of the soul. And I think every time I hear about one of these stories, I think, I think Satan's in there. Satan's in there. He's a murderer from the beginning. And he's wicked and he's crafty and he's deceptive and he's scheming. And he'll take any little bit of lie and he'll mix it with enough truth and he'll take any little bit of doubt or hesitation or guilt and he'll flower that. He'll water that. Until it sprouts into death. Destruction in our life. He's a murderer from the beginning. His favorite instrument of death is a lie. He takes all the other schemes and he and he spins them together like this perfect web and he uses all these things against us. Deception. Times when we may have been discredited in our lives. Times when we've let our own selves down. He'll throw those things back up at us. Division in our own heart and soul with our own God. Division in our marriages. Divisions in our homes. Divisions in our churches. And he takes all these things and he layers them together and he compounds them. And however he has to put them together, he puts them together because he's ultimately a destroyer. Whatever he has to do to bring death and destruction, he'll do it. He'll do it. Consider again Jesus' words back from John 10.10. 10. It says that he is a thief. What does it mean to be a thief? It's just that. That's what he does. You might get the picture of a, of a professional pickpocketer, but in the spiritual realm. That's the work of the devil. That he comes into our life and he looks for anything that can be taken. And he wants it. And as a professional thief, he gets close sometimes to do his work. And he would rather go unnoticed, wouldn't he? But he gets close enough so that he can steal, number one. That means that he takes things that are not rightfully his. I was at uh, Disney this past week with my uh, family. And uh, at different points, if you've been to Disney, you get on buses, you get on trams, you go into rides. And at, uh, at one ride, they put everybody in this little room. And like, there were like 740,000 people in this 10 by 10 room, it felt like, with kids and all this. And then they say, please move forward. There's still room. Like, what do I, I got to climb on this guy's back if I'm going to move any, any further forward. And so we squeeze in a little further and we squeeze in a little further. And the lady behind me at one point, she says, this would be a great spot for a pickpocketer. And at that moment, I had been thinking over this message. I said, that, that, that's, that's, how, that's how Satan works, doesn't he? He gets, he gets real close. And when we're not paying attention, he reaches into our pockets and he takes something that's rightfully ours. And if we're not guarded if we're not paying attention he would just brush right by and take something right from us his job is to steal from us do you know that are you on guard against against that great thief in the spiritual realm or do you have things in your life spiritually speaking that are just out there for for anyone 
that are unguarded? Do you have doors open, windows open? Is your wallet hanging out, spiritually speaking? You getting the picture here? He's a professional thief. What is he looking for? You could say that he's looking to steal, for one, the fruits of our spirit. What are they? Our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, our gentleness, our self-control. Satan would love to pick off any one of those things right out of your life. Does he ever work that way with you? That he gets up close enough, you never really know he's there, but all of a sudden gentleness is just gone. Kindness is missing in your life. That's how he works. He's a professional thief. Not only does he steal, but it says there in John 10.10 that he kills. Now, the word used there in the Greek to kill is not necessarily the word for murder. It's interesting. It's the word used for a sacrifice. Many commentators believe that when, when Jesus says that he's here to steal, once he has robbed us, once he has taken everything he takes, and when we look around and our lives have been just been devastated, that we've been robbed. It's the idea that our life is in shambles and there's barely nothing left. It's as if you walk into your home and everything's been turned upside down. You've been violated. He's, been, he's come in and he's taken everything he can take and the things that are left just seem worthless to you. And it's as if we just say, none of this is worth it anymore and we give up. That's the idea of what he means here when he says he's there to kill. So he takes all that he can and then the rest is just seemed to be in shambles and we just we just sacrifice it all. We just give it away. We throw it away. He's there to kill in that way. And finally, he's there to destroy. If he can't kill you literally, he'll seek to destroy you in every figurative way he can. If God's leash does not allow him to take your life physically, perhaps he allows him to come in and figuratively destroy you and bring death into your life in a spiritual way, maybe in in a sense you've never experienced before. His goal is to leave you desolate. An expanded interpretive translation of John 10, 10 might read this way. Listen now. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished, when he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he'll leave you insolvent, flat broke, and cleaned out in every area of your life. You'll end up feeling as if you're finished. Out of business. Make no mistake. The enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. And that's, that's the heart. That's the desire of our old father. To destroy us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Final question for you in this series. Do you recognize the schemes of the adversary? Or do you give them very little thought at all? Do you care enough about the spiritual health of yourself, your family, 
your children, your marriage, your church, to give careful consideration to how the enemy would come against us. Are you aware of the spiritual battles raging around you? Do you grasp a little better the seriousness of Paul's words at the end of Ephesians 6? The words we started this series with. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who our battle is against. It's not just flesh and blood. Keep going. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth against his deceptions, having put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard our hearts, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that you'll not be distraught. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Are you prepared for the battle that is already going on, by the way? If you are in Christ and if you are about the business of the kingdom, then you're in the heat of the battle. And if you're not guarding yourself, if you're not in the full armor of God, then you're leaving yourself open to any one of these schemes with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Be on alert. Are you aware of the schemes of the devil? You know that he's a liar and a murderer and a thief. Are you aware that he's after you? Are you aware that he's after your marriage? Are you aware that he's after your family? Are you aware that he's after this church family? Do not be unaware. Do not be taken off guard of his schemes. Lest the adversary outwits us. Our theme verse. Finally, let me leave you with this. Be encouraged. That while Satan longs to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus himself said, that his desire is that you may have life and life more abundantly. Put John 10.10 back up. There's a second half to the verse. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's who he is. That's what he does. And that's the desire of his heart. But look now at the desire of the heart of our Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. He came that we may have life. Not death. Not only life, but life in an extravagant way. That doesn't mean material things. It simply means that He would have us to be alive, abundantly alive, in Christ Jesus. To have the fruits of the Spirit that come with life in the Spirit. The heart of the adversary is death for you. The heart of your Father is life for you. Great news. He's already won. Next week we celebrate. He's overcome the final scheme of the devil, death. Let's pray.